Welcome back to another episode of the Big Freedom Show. I'm Charlie Thompson. With me, as always, the King himself, John King, and your favorite lispy libertarian, Nate Thurston. I threw your last name back in for you this week. Thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, man, it just feels so good to be back. We've been gone for two weeks now. I know. We missed you guys last week. It was not on purpose. I don't know if you guys caught it during the last show, but we had a a fateful incident. We did. A couple, about a month or so ago, I I kind of put on the air that we were going to do like two episodes a week. And then we're gone for two weeks because John is so dedicated to the show, he decided to uh, go ahead and record two weeks ago on this Monday. With the flu. With the flu. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that Wednesday when we were supposed to record again, John was out. And uh, if you didn't hear our last episode, I took – actually, I, I took the rest of John's whiskey. I just drank out of his glass. <laughs> he, I looked across the table and he was almost in spasms. And I was like, what is, what is going on right now? And later he told me he accidentally – sap of the cup so i got the flu the following week even worse than me yes and uh then nate was out of town and you know yeah hey we missed y'all but we're glad to be back we're eventually going to get to two episodes a week it's going to happen we did we did this for like almost three weeks we did two episodes every week and the numbers are growing i mean we're so glad to have you guys continue to listen uh we're seeing new downloads every day alabama is shooting up there california Thanks for being so, uh, more reliable than we are. Well, um, I'm really glad that we made it back for sure. I didn't get sick, by the way. No. I, I lucked out. A perfect immune system, I guess. Yeah, you have the immune system of a genetically modified polar bear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. You're strong. It maybe it, it sounds like you've been sipping a little bit too much of this week's Whiskey, Whiskey of the Week. week. Yeah, we got a good one this week. It's surprising. I never heard of it. It's called the Steward's Solera. I went to my neighborhood whiskey spot and found it, and I think it's really good. You know, Nate was worried about us running out of whiskeys to sample. And <laughs> no. here, here we are with a beautiful bottle that you picked up, John, for $29. Yeah, from from what I'm seeing online, it's about a $50 bottle, and it tastes like a $50 bottle. It is Delicious. And a little bit more information. It's 50% alcohol. And I guess they make it, what makes it different is they make it by blending a bunch of different aged whiskeys. So they go from 18 years down to seven or something like that. And I think the 18 is what is prominent. Yeah, it's it's good. What do you guys have for rating on it? At, at 29 bucks, <laughs> I'm going to go with a nine and a half. This is a 10 out of 10 for me at $29. I'm going nine and a half also. Yeah, it's this one's in our Hall of Fame. Twenty nine right bucks. Yeah, it's going it's going on top of the desk back there for I, sure. Know, I think we're going to do a value series soon too, where we maybe we try some really inexpensive stuff and look for a diamond in the rough. I've got a plastic bottle of Jim Beam in my cabinet. We can try if you guys I, want to. I'm not ready for that race to the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> it goes great in coffee. Yeah, kind of a little better than Woodford. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I guess that was another edition of the Whiskey of the Week. Little pitch there for you yeah well man we got something real bad to talk about today don't we we're normally so chipper and and so happy but it's never good whenever you come in and you have something like this to talk about and that is of course the uh the school shooting that took place in florida last week i know you guys have probably heard a lot about it but we wanted to uh to maybe give you our take on it and i think it's going to be a little bit different from what you've been hearing yeah ab- absolutely and i you know this is obviously super heartbreaking it was 17 
kids just basically got slaughtered in a classroom. And this kind of hits close to home for us. I'm from Western Kentucky. And a couple weeks ago, I, my old high school actually had one of these active shooter events and two people were killed and I think 20 something injured. And then, you know, obviously the Heath High School shooting, which was really the first big high school shooting that happened like 20 minutes away from where I grew up. So definitely hits close to home. Yeah. It's, and this is a tragedy. I mean, there's nothing else you could really say about it. I mean, 17 kids dying. I think there were 14 injured in this, in this incident. And, you know, it's becoming at least in our, in our age, more frequent. And you have to ask yourself, uh, or, or you, you sit there and you think about, you know, these different parents and people that, that are losing lives and, and that's never easy. It's never, um, it's never easy to even think about, especially having a, a child of my own now. I mean, there's just no the, way to wrap your head around literally sending your kid off to school and never seeing them again. There, yeah, there's nothing that you could literally do when you think about that. It's almost like, um, yeah, well, and, you and said I think it as best. a parent, there's, what we would say is there's nothing we literally wouldn't do. And I think to, to keep that from happening, and I think that's, we'll tell you first what this episode is not going to be, um, which if you've listened to any other sort of, you know, libertarian points of view on this, a, a lot of people are kind of coming off tone deaf and just, you know, you don't have to be a heartless bastard in this situation. I mean, there are some things that we can, you know, intellectually talk about and do here. We'd like to actually find the solution because the number one step here is that we do have a problem, right? I mean, we, we can admit that, that there seems to be a problem in this country with mass shootings um, that maybe isn't, it isn't happening as frequently in other countries. And, uh, I think that we we do want to find a solution, but then again, we are libertarians and we are all strong supporters of the Second Amendment and your right as a human being to be able to defend yourself. So there's kind of a line here that we have to we have to skirt. We have to figure out, is there a way that we can stop these mass shootings from happening and also preserve our rights as citizens of the United States? Uh, and be able to keep our guns at the same time. Yeah, I mean, you have a natural right um, to protect yourself um, by any means necessary, really. And I think that it, it's hard for libertarians or, or people who are pro-gun um, to be to have this discussion uh, pro-life at the same time. You can be pro-life and pro-gun. And we're going to walk through some of that with you today. We've got some statistics. We've got some numbers um, I said statistics, so Nate didn't have to. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and we're going to walk through some of this. We're going to give you some potential solutions. We're going to give you some things that maybe most libertarians probably aren't talking about. It doesn't mean that we don't have principles. We don't believe in protecting yourself, and we don't believe in self-responsibility. But we believe that human lives matter and that there are steps that can be taken and, and things, at least having an open mind in discussing these things to really not just bark on principles all day, but understand people on an emotional level. And we also have to remember, I mean, a top-down approach is not always the best thing. That's the first thing that people come out with in a situation like this is that, you know, that the federal government needs to do something. And I think we're going to sort of break down, you know, some options that, that might be a different way to look at it. Well, to get going on this a little bit, I wanted to first ask the question, um, do you guys think, and this will go to the listeners too, do you think it's possible to confiscate the 300 million guns that are currently in the United States? 300 
plus. I, I don't think we guns. would, and I'm not even joking. I don't think we would be a United States anymore. No, that would pretty much people would, you know, what we would really see happen is what we maybe look at as party lines right now would pretty much turn into new state lines. Yeah, I think it's zero chance. Um, and and I'm probably one of those that would never give up my guns. I mean, I just wouldn't. I would just be so I, terrified of what's going to happen next right. at that point. You, you see throughout history, and you can't forget about history here, but any time in history when this has happened, millions of people have died from the result of it because it's a stepping stone to certain things taking place. And that's what history has proven. Uh, Patrick Henry said, and I love this quote, I have but one lamp by which my feet are guided, and that is the lamp of history. And he says that because no one knows what's going to happen in the future, right? But we all can look at history, recorded history. We have over 2,000 years of human recorded history. And <coughs> You okay over there, Charlie? Is the flu oh, coming back? No, but I just I took a breath in, and I, I had to cough there. I have a sip of Grandpa's <laughs> cough medicine. Uh, hopefully there's no flu left on the mic here <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> from last time. <laughs> but anyway, I was I was just going, I was just letting you know that you can look back on history and you can you can have a way to guide yourself of of what potentially the future can hold. And so we if we know that to be true, if we know that eventually bad things happen when the people can't defend themselves, I don't think you could ever get rid of it and I don't think it's a good idea. So we'll we'll come to the agreement, and hopefully people listening will too, that there really is no possible way to confiscate, confiscate the guns. You can't j really get them out of Americans' hands. I think that one's off the table. There's so many of them. There's a, almost 100 million people that own guns in the, in the U.S. Um, it's just, it really isn't going to happen. You'd have to use the military to do it, and half the military would quit before they would go and confiscate a gun from them because they're gun guys. So who's going to do the confiscation anyway? Your military and police officers are all guys that are hiding their guns at home too, you know? And you can always pull that, Charlie, I mean, I don't want to call you out here as a bad person, but I know you own an AR-15. So, uh, I mean, well, yeah, I possibly did. you did until it was stolen the other day, right? It, yeah. Yeah. Strange. Isn't that, that sucks that it got stolen. Well, no, I mean, it was lost. It's it was not lost. stolen. Okay. No, nobody has it. Well, did you... If I were you, I'd go ahead and report it stolen. That way, when they go to confiscate your guns, they can't get one from you. <laughs> you know? Problem solved. Um, but now, I was fighting with some people on Twitter the other day, as I do normally. Which, that, that can be a poor choice during times like this. Yeah, honestly, I had to take Twitter off of my phone this weekend and just kind of step away from it because this is something that people are really getting heated about. And I don't like it when people propose solutions that to me, just have no chance of actually solving the problem. And it's like a solution that just makes you feel better, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's like if somebody says, you know, we have to do something about stopping kids from being killed. Yeah. What do you, of course, that just Obviously. feels natural. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And let's pass a law that says it's going to help do this. But you never think to answer, to, you know, to ask the question, is this actually going to help? And... That's what I want to do with some of these proposals, if you guys are ready to go through some of these. It looks um, like a long list. I've got a pretty good list right here. This is a, a list that a guy tweeted to us at, at Big Freedom Show, if you want to tweet us any more lists anytime. You're going to um, re-engage your Twitter, right? Oh, it's it's already back on there. I was okay. actually typing out. He's, he's ready to troll an argument. Um, <laughs> uh, so, an assault weapons ban. That's the number one thing uh, on this list. 
Now, my question for you is, can you guys name a weapon that is not used for assault? No, most weapons, that's what they're Do you have a non, like non-assault weapons, like friend, like friendly weapons or like, uh. When they're not being used for assault, they're just, yeah, they're just weapons. Yeah. Or maybe they're just decorations. I've seen, I've seen a few videos go around and I mean, these guys are right. Assault is a verb. Let's let's just throw that out there. It's not a noun. It's not an adjective, right? Even though people want to use it as that. That's a good point. It's a verb. It's an action. If I, if, if I assault somebody with my hands or with a gun, that assault is just assault. It, it, you're just changing the tools that you use hands versus gun or assault. There's guitars in here. I could, I could do some real damage assaulting you with a guitar if I wanted to, but it's not an assault guitar. So anything that could be used as a weapon and used against someone else could be an assault weapon. Right. And they, it sort of varies depending on where you are, but what they're talking about supposedly is, you know, things like pistol grips, detachable magazines, that kind of thing. But they just sort of pick arbitrary things, arbitrary features and say, oh, this is an assault weapon. Well, and they're, they're liking it to military style, you know, weapons that are lightweight, easier to carry, I guess, if you will. But really they're not, I mean, they're not much different than a regular rifle, but it's just appearance. One's made with wood, one's made with plastic. That's that's really and, the and only really, difference. Everything has to do with who's wielding the weapon. I mean, if you have a very effective guy with a you know single shot pistol, they could take out somebody with an AR-15. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I know you guys want to take this one apart. One of the most common things here is uh, we should ban semi semi-automatic weapons. Semi-automatic weapons. We need to ban them because that's what these AR-15s are. So we need to ban semi-automatic Which would weapons. really be every weapon except for a bolt, a action, bolt action. And that's yeah. it. It's one thing that people don't realize is that a semi-automatic weapon means that you pull the trigger, one bullet comes out, and then it automatically reloads a new bullet into the chamber at, in that process. Flash, fully automatic weapons have been banned for, I mean... Since the 30s, 30s. 20s, yeah, 30s. You have to have a special yeah. license and go through all <laughs> kinds of stuff to have one, and they're terribly expensive so, well you do i just want to clarify you do have lever action and pump action too those are yeah <laughs> yeah thanks for saving us from the hate mail yeah yes. there you go um <laughs> those are other forms sorry gun, sorry gun guys it's nearly impossible to go and buy a gun where you just pull the trigger down and bullets repeatedly fly out of it um wouldn't you guys say i mean that i know you can get them now it literally but, takes i think it's like at least five years yeah worth of uh screening it's thousands and thousands tens of thousands of dollars to get a federal license i don't know the exact numbers i've never applied for one i'm I'm sure maybe there's a few of you out there listening that either have it or have so maybe email us um your experience info at the bigfreedomshow.com yeah there's not a lot of information out on that so (laughs) yeah or uh tweet nate at big freedom show let us know if you've gone through the process what is it like um, for your, well, it, you individually. And what we're really saying is we already said, look, you can't take the 300 million guns away. And if this is 90% of all guns out there, this one's a non-starter. Yeah. So a semi-automatic weapon, just so everyone out there, you know, on Twitter posting all the time, those or Facebook, uh, that covers almost every gun, your standard pistol, your standard handgun is a semi-automatic weapon. The same as an AR 15. When you pull the trigger of an AR 15, one bullet comes out. And then you have to pull the trigger again for one more bullet to come out. So I think that's a really common misconception that hopefully people can spread the news on 
sometime. Please help us. But <laughs> um, another uh, another little thing here is a, a high capacity magazine ban. So, what do you guys think about that? I mean, in theory, if you didn't know anything about guns, that sounds like a great idea. Why do you need to be able to shoot three hundred rounds without reloading? Yeah, well, you... <laughs> a lot of people bring up you know old muskets. Uh, oh, when the Second Amendment was passed it, in seventeen seventy six or whatever, um, when the Second Amendment was around, you had muskets where you had to actually pour the powder and load the bullet and place a wad and you know well let's be i mean i know you could get called a nut job for saying stuff like this but that's because the military had those guns and the whole point of the second amendment was so the citizens could stop the government of be the united states equally armed yes. against what might be used against you the citizens were supposed to be a line of defense against the government becoming too big and too tyrannical and i want to point out too that there is uh Back in the day, back in those times, there was actually a thing called the Puckle Gun. You could look it up, a Puckle. Um, and that was invented, I believe, in 1718. So this was mm. 50, 60 years before the Second Amendment was ever around. And it was actually um, what turned later into the Gatling Gun. It was a, a gun that had about eight barrels on it. And you could load them all up at the same time. And you can light the flint on each one of them and fire pretty quickly back then so mm. they did have mechanisms there's there will always be mechanisms to achieve the ends of high capacity magazines or anything like that i think nate you might even have a demonstration on the microphone i do for people you have um what appears to be a, a semi-automatic handgun right here that holds seven uh i believe seven yeah bullets? i believe seven um it's kind of bad that I don't know, but yeah, seven. Um, so the gun I have right now is an LC9. I'm holding it right now in my hands, and I wanted to do this little demonstration um, about high-capacity magazines because the, the misconception there is that if you have a high-capacity magazine, which your standard AR-15 mag is, what, 30 rounds? Something like that, Charlie? Yeah, depending on what state you're in, but okay. yeah, 30 rounds. Um, so the They don't come with 30 round, by the way. Okay. You, you buy that separately. So the complaint here is that um, there's so many bullets in the magazine that that's, that's aiding in these people being able to inflict so much more damage. And I think that this is an idea that's creative in the minds of people who don't know anything about guns. And the fact that if you preload your own stack of magazines and keep them in whatever pouch or whatever Which, belt. What just happened that he had apparently just, he was just strapped head to toe yeah. with magazines. If you have that many magazines preloaded, I bet you it takes two seconds for someone like me to unload a magazine and reload another magazine into my gun. So what I want to know is why would banning high capacity magazines stop this from happening whenever I can take out an empty magazine and put a new one in within two seconds. Do you guys think that that maybe might be a good demonstration to do real quick? All right, let's start it. Can we get a timer here real quick? Uh, uh, Charlie, you got the screen. I'm we watching. Get that going. we got to see how many seconds this takes. All right, I've got the gun. It's unloaded, John. Don't worry. It's absolutely empty. Mark, no problem. Go. All right. And how that was, was that? 1.8 seconds. 1.8? Okay. Yeah. And Nate hasn't been in the military. He's not been trained in any way. He grew up on a farm. Yeah. So he has had to, you know, use some weapons, but that's, this is your average <laughs> Joe from Illinois, the most gun control heavy state in the country. Well, and one, one argument is like, you know, you could rush 
if a guy's changing, you know, he shoots six or seven bullets and he has to change magazines, you could rush him and you, you can't rush somebody in 1.8 seconds. It's just, it's not feasible unless you're five feet away from them and then you probably already got shot. So, yeah. Um, so that one's no good. That's that's also another thing that just clearly won't work. And now we get to the mental health thing, which is uh, something we can really have a discussion on, I think. Um, the idea that if you were put on some kind of a registry for having mental health problems, that uh, you would be able to check that in the background checks system and not be able to purchase a weapon. What What do you think, John? I think that's really scary. Yeah. Um, I, I think I've heard a statistic that, you know, Te- by technical standards, 70% of Americans suffer from some sort of a mental illness or have been treated for some sort of a mental illness. Like, I mean, most people, by the time they're 50 years old, have gone through some time in their life or maybe they went to a doctor, maybe, maybe they couldn't sleep. Um, maybe they were depressed for a few months. Uh, I don't, by any stretch of the imagination, think that should preclude someone from being able to defend themselves. Absolutely not. And in... To further that is anytime you talk about a government list, I mean, that's the probably worst case scenario you can think of when it comes to tyranny, right? Because good luck getting off of that list. It's very easy to get on it and yeah. impossible to get off. Well, because what they do is, and I think, you've, Nate, you've got some some a story here about this, but what they do is they create an arbitrary, you know, unelected board of people and they decide these things and to fight it, you have to go before an administrative court with administrative judges of people who have no, the, no accountability. We, yeah. I mean, and, we saw how well this just worked with FISA, your favorite. Yeah. Well, I mean, as much damage as the government's already done with <laughs> FISA and they don't, they really don't care about your rights. Think about the second amendment that, I mean, Rand Paul is a Senator in the United States who made the no fly list, right? He wasn't able to board a plane because he was on the no fly list and he was a Senator of the United States had done nothing wrong. And I, I think he probably got off the list faster than most people because he is a Senator. But if you're not, do then, we have, and they won't tell us how he got on the list. Will they, did no. they ever come out with that? They said something like his name was close to something else or whatever it, you know what, Ron Paul? (laughs) (laughs) So when you talk about government, it's never a good thing, but I think you can talk about certain mental health issues, right? I mean, well, I talked about the idea earlier. It'd be cool if you, you know, if there's a private system, a private background system where someone had been diagnosed with say schizophrenia or something like that, and they have been diagnosed and the, uh, the store could get on to the background check system and make the decision of whether or not they were going to sell to this person. And what I would extend there is that they could possibly be liable for selling to someone who's been deemed schizophrenic. And the thing we like about that is with a private system, that company that administers that system is going to be, they're going to have some liability there too. If they put somebody on there and they're not supposed to be and they can't get back off, they're going to get sued into oblivion Yeah. versus the federal government. That just doesn't happen. But so if you can't do it that way, well, then couldn't there be some kind of a questionnaire where you answer like personality question, questions, you know, take a personality test of whether or not you be a dangerous. This sounds like getting a medical marijuana prescription in California. It's like everybody gets headaches all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, they, I, I think you have some, uh, I think you might have a potential questionnaire from a university there. I do have a nice questionnaire. And uh, so if we're going to talk about this idea of taking a personality test before you, because I saw this thrown can we, up. Can we do the question? right now yeah we can do it all right charlie let's see how we um okay. let's see do you either one of you like coffee 
Yes. Yes. I okay. can't live without it. Okay. Um, have either one of you ever used tonic water as a mix in a drink? I, yes. Yes. Okay. Have you ever eaten celery and possibly I don't eat enjoyed celery it? celery often. With peanut butter. Okay. With peanut it, butter. Yeah. That's good. Um, Are you pregnant? Do you enjoy, <laughs> do you enjoy hoppy beer? Very IPAs much so. all the way. Okay. Yep. You like hoppy beer. Okay. That's good. How about dark chocolate? Yeah, dark chocolate's really healthy. Okay, well... I love, especially dark chocolate-covered cashews. Very oh, nice. Well, So good. According to this recent study from the University of Innsbruck in Austria, uh, you guys may be psychopaths. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what I've just demonstrated here is... I didn't is really the, see that one coming. Yeah. Right? I mean, <laughs> so well, look, I, a, I answered these questions under duress. They did a, they did a study of 953 <laughs> American adults <laughs> um, between, uh, basically, with an average age of 35, and they found that the people who liked bitter-tasting things, things that were bitter, you know, maybe grapefruit, beer, uh, things like that... Whiskey, maybe? ...that they had a higher... They had a... a higher pro proclusion to being psychopaths. So um, what we just demonstrated here is the danger of the idea that a personality test could somehow determine whether or not you could own a firearm. Because of, according to this study, there's a good chance all three of us are psychopaths. So I don't know if we want to change maybe the tagline on the show. Can we find another study? Yeah, maybe a maybe a different study, but guys, that's what happens with a with a mental health screening, with a personality test before you can get a gun. Um, and and we talked about this a little bit earlier, and I don't want to go down in too much of a rabbit trail. The one part I could possibly seed here is, you know, what Charlie said, possibly about something like schizophrenia, or you know, literally bipolar disorder, yeah, or or well. That, well, I, actually, that one gets a little bit weird. There's, There's actually a, like 2% of the country that's currently diagnosed yeah, that's with what bipolar. I, I actually, I, not to say, I have a really good friend that has bipolar, and he's totally normal. Um, but, you know, if you're a sociopath kind of thing, or if you've been diagnosed as a psychotic, meaning you've literally been in a mental health institution, I, I could possibly seed a little bit of ground there if you were diagnosed by multiple people with that. And having that be submitted to some sort of a background check system. I don't disagree with that. I, obviously, I think you have to, I don't, not necessarily prove, but you have to show that you are capable of handling certain things, right? I'm not going to give, I'm not going to give my eight-year-old, I don't have an eight-year-old yet, but when he turns eight, I'm not just going to give him a gun and just let him be unsupervised, right? He doesn't have the mental capacity as an eight-year-old to handle that type of thing. Now, after years of training and me teaching him things, and I will give him a weapon probably and, and trust him with it, but not when he's eight, not when he's 12 probably. And I'm not saying that people with mental disabilities are have the mind of eight or 12 year olds. A lot of them do. But if you think about it in that realm, right, people that have mental, mental disabilities where they can't comprehend or they can't show that they can actually handle something like a gun, then yeah, those people I can say, or, or I could agree with you and say, yeah, you probably shouldn't have a gun. Now, what I would say there is I would like to be in a private system apart from the federal government, honestly, uh, I would like it more in the civil suit realm of things if that person were to ever 
use the gun for any type of violent act that they could come back on the store that checked the database. Which, what and would saw. capitalism do for us there? Every gun store would reference this database because they wouldn't want the liability. Yeah. Um, uh, so I do think that that's kind of a kind of a free market solution for it. Um, and it has to be very narrow, like what we're talking about here. Not, you know, you you had a dark, you were in a dark place for a week kind of thing and, and, I, w- and went and got some Xanax. We're not talking about you. You you guys are good. I want to clarify too, we probably should have said this at the beginning, but I want to clarify is you're not going to stop everything. Mm-mm. People should know, I mean, we've been studying heavily tornadoes and hurricanes. You're not going to stop everything. Life happens. There are crazy people that are going to do crazy things. You know, people die in car accidents and malpractice and doctors and tornadoes, whatever life happens and you're not going to be able to prevent everything. So I, I want to throw that disclaimer out there that said these, these things that we talk about and the things that we're, you know, conceding to, if you will, or saying that, Hey, we could agree with these certain things. It's on the premise that things are still going to happen, but how do we get to a place where we can do some things to mitigate we those can, risks? We can mitigate, right, exactly. Mitigate those risks. So the next thing I wanted to say was uh, there's kind of, we can lump in all these things together, which is barring sales to violent criminals, um, universal checks for all gun Which, buyers. hold on, violent criminals, aren't most of them going to be felons? Yeah. Which can't, they already, they already not, can't. But, oh, but you mean they're getting their guns from someplace other than, mm, yeah, a, a, okay. Some, s- seems like sometimes when the government makes something illegal, it doesn't exactly mean Doesn't really anything. apply to criminals. Yeah. Uh, universal checks for all gun buyers or ammo buyers. Uh, this is um, this is require gun licenses for everyone, ammo purchase limits, and a centralized record of gun sales. That's all of these. And I'm going to lump this in with the mental health thing, too. I got a secret for you guys. This gun that I have right here was not purchased by me. I've had it in my possession for... I think over two years now, at least two or three years, I've had it. It was a birthday gift. I ha- I've taken it um, shooting several times. I carry it on me all the time. You better believe every single movie theater I go to, it's in my pocket. <coughs> um, and most of the public places I go. And I did not purchase this weapon. So tell me what law is going to stop that right there. That's my question, is if it's so easy for a person who passed their mental health screening, who didn't have a felony. And you can't restrict transfer and sale of property from one person to another. You really can't. You can't monitor it. If I I spend $3,000 on a gun, I need to be able to sell that gun just like I can sell a guitar. Yeah. you just can't treat it differently. It's still property. And you're not going to stop someone who's, whose best friend passed all the tests and, you know, they've known each other forever. And I go to Charlie and I say, hey, dude, I don't, you know, this crazy freaking government stuff. Like, uh, I just can't, I can't go get a gun. Well, here's a thousand bucks. We just go get a gun for me. And that way I can protect myself. Charlie's going to go get me a gun. Like, that's, that's just the, I mean, I think he would. I hope so as a friend. Well, and you look at um, what the parents of this shooter said, that everything was normal. You know, he, he they saw him the night before, and he had dinner with them, and he said, hey, I'm not going to school tomorrow. I don't go to school on Valentine's Day. And they were like, okay. You're a 19-year-old lazy kid. That's what 19-year-olds sure. do. Yeah, we don't, like, we're not going to make you go if you, you know, feel like you don't want to go on Valentine's Day. Like, they said everything was normal. They had no idea that something like this would happen. And- that goes to what Nate's saying. I mean, 
sometimes you just don't see the signs. And I think there, there's a lot of evidence pointing, pointing that maybe there were some signs, but not leading up to it, not right before it happened. Sometimes, you know, what if Nate is crazy and I gave him a gun? I didn't know he was because I've been friends with him for 18 years or maybe even longer and than this, that. This just goes to show you, too. I mean, there were tips put in and stuff wasn't done. And we're not going to go down the whole FBI bumbling this route. But, you know, sometimes stuff just still happens. So the the main point I wanted to make there was, did did we come across a single proposed rule that would actually stop this from happening? No. No. And so that's why we've got a couple of ideas of things that would actually stop this. From it's happening. important to not just talk about things that make you feel better, and then you say them, and you're like, yeah, I did something, and I talked about something that would save people's lives. Yeah, we have to do something is not something that, should come out of your mouth unless it's doing something that's intelligent yeah, if you, and if actually going to help. If the something that you want to do is completely worthless, then you're not doing anything and don't pat yourself on the back for it. So do you guys have any, maybe some, some easy solution? I mean, no, nothing's easy, but do you guys have any solutions? To... I mean, okay, I'm going to curve a little bit here. Do I it. mean, what do we think the real, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but what do we think the real source of the problem is? Uh, I think, honestly, it's the same problem we see in almost everything else going on in our country. It's a complete lack of personal responsibility. We don't teach our kids that it can be their fault, that when something bad happens, these days, kids are basically taught that they can blame every other person but themselves all the time. It's never their fault. It's your teacher's fault that you did a bad job in class. It's your friend's fault that you're not happy. It's your coach's fault that you didn't make the team. It's, a, it's all these different ideas that we've let our kids just really run away with. And it's the job of parents and teachers. I know the teachers are, are limited. Mom, I'm talking about you. Uh, but it's the job of parents and teachers to instill these ideas, this philosophy in our children and we're not doing it anymore. So these kids grow up thinking that if something bad happened to them, that it had nothing to do with the decision they made, that I'm, it was someone else's fault. I'm sure fault. this probably happened to you guys, but I mean, I know when I was a kid, I, it became very acutely aware of there were consequences for my actions. Mm -hmm. um, I, I remember one time I made a bet with somebody. I, it was my birthday and I'd just gotten like $50 worth of, worth of cash for my birthday. And I jokingly told somebody, it was like, hey, I, you know, I bet that that this city doesn't exist. It was called like possum trot or something like that. And, you know, my dad heard me say it. And of course I was wrong. And, uh, he definitely made me give the guy at my church the $50 and wouldn't let him give it back to me. I learned, <laughs> you know, okay, there's consequences for thing I, things I say, you know, and I don't think that happens very much anymore. I think, I think a lot of parents have become friends of their kids and, you know, I saw this video on Facebook the other day where this teenager was mad at her mom for something. I have no idea what it was. And so she went in the cabinets and she took all of her mom's glasses and, uh, you know, like nice China and things like that and just broke it, just threw it on the ground, calling her mom a bee. I can't say it on this family show we got here. Family friendly. Yeah. <laughs> big calling freedom, mom, big family. Calling her mom all kinds of names. And, you know... <sighs> I can't mention any names really, but in my life, you know, I've had other friends that spoke horribly to their parents and I wouldn't be caught dead doing any of that because 
my, I was, I was taught to respect people. I was taught to respect life. I was taught to respect those things. If not, I was going to get beat and, and not like in a child abuse way. Like my mom had a paddle with it's holes a, it's in a, it. It's effective and speed holes. And I knew that just like John said, there were consequences for that. And I remember the last spanking I got was when I was 12, 12 years old was the last one. Cause I finally figured out at that age, quit doing stupid stuff. Right. And it, it wasn't a, you know, child abuse case case or anything like that, but it was an, it was an era of time or, or my parents, my mom and my grandmother, who I grew up with as a kid, they believed in teaching all of us that there's value in life. There's value in consequences and the decisions that you make. And that's not happening. I mean, Nate, you've told stories of all kinds of kids, parents who don't respect your mom. Right. Mm-hmm. They, which is mom's a teacher. We you, need to preface that. Yeah. yeah. You see it on social media all the time where these kids just have a complete lack and then they're completely disrespectful to everyone. And it's very unfortunate. I, I think that we don't instill these types of values in, in our kids. And, and we've, so, been, we've been so busy trying not to offend people and trying to make everyone feel included and like they're doing a good job that we've, destroyed the whole sense of really sort of right and wrong and just a basic sense of morality. And not only that, but we, we haven't taught our kids that life sucks. Sometimes the Mm -hmm. world sucks. You're going to fail. It's hard. Yeah. Life is hard. And if you can't learn to control your emotions as a kid, when you reach those obstacles, which is what we've tried to eliminate from their lives, then you, things like this happen. Because they can't understand. I guarantee you that this kid was made fun of. He was probably bullied. All kinds of things. Yeah, and, and I was bullied, but I didn't go shoot anybody. Right, Because you know? and this kid didn't know how to deal with his emotions. I, I don't know how crazy he was, but that's one thing that I can probably tell you for 100% certainty that he didn't know how to control this. He wanted people to feel the way he felt because he didn't know how to approach hard things in life. So to sum that up, I see people talking all the time about what is the difference between why is this such a bigger deal than it was back in the 40s and 50s and 60s than what we have right now? And I think it's exactly what we just said. Back in the 40s and 50s and 60s, you better believe it. Whenever you did something wrong at home or in school, there were consequences. You knew the difference between right and wrong. There were consequences to your actions. You were taught responsibility all the time. There was a basic sense of, and it has nothing to do with religion, there was a basic sense of decency that everyone sort of ascribed to. And I think this is what we get when we raise an entire generation of children who are not taught to be responsible, who are not taught respect whatsoever, who are not taught how to deal with the idea that something could actually be your fault, that this is what you eventually get. Did, did you notice, so what we've just talked about is probably the only thing that would have stopped this whole incident that just happened. And it had nothing to do with guns. No, not whatsoever. I mean, it's the same way that that stopping drunk drivers has nothing to do with getting rid of alcohol. It all, it all has to do with personal responsibility. That's how you actually solve these problems is personal responsibility. And I think we, we need to, to move away from the gun conversation because 
we all have gone through these proposed laws and none of them solved anything at all. The only thing that could actually solve something is teaching this to our kids and getting back to this responsibility level that we used to have. And we've got some other ideas as well. Well, so let's, to frame this discussion, obviously what we just talked about, that's the real solution here. But if we're going to establish the fact that crazy exists... And at, for the for right now, that's what we're dealing with. How do we propose we move forward in that situation? We, we've already got the bad parenting's been done. There's going to be some more kids like this. Well, guys, it can take a lot of time to do a lot of internet research all day and figure out what the exact budget of the Department of Education is, how many schools we have <clears throat> in this country, and how many students we have going to all of those schools and what different parts of that budget are used for all the time. But guess what? I went ahead and did it for you, so you don't have to take any time doing that. So <laughs> Nate did it for all of us. We're yeah. not going to... Charlie and I, we, we thought about what we thought about things, and Nate went and dug up all the facts. This is my proposal for a security measure. I propose that we get at least four standing metal detectors at at least two entrances with two armed security guards to every school in the country. So what we're saying is the only real way to deal with this, it has nothing to do with gun stores or anything like that, physical security and treating a school like any other place that you want secured. Yeah, like a bank, like, can like we, City Hall. Can we all like agree the, on that, that that's really the only thing that would stop this? I mean, our president is surrounded by a multitude of security detail. With they, Guess what? They all have guns. Yeah, <laughs> that's how they protect the president. That's how they, you know, a lot of people in Congress, you know, not all of them, but people that are in important positions, they're protected with guns and plans, security detail. And I could even say, look, if you're going to have gun free zones, which a school I agree should for as far as students go be a gun free zone, you've got to protect the people that aren't allowed to protect themselves. And that's what we haven't done. And that's what I think your idea is going for. And this is the reason we went through this episode in this order. We told you that there's no way that you can confiscate the guns. Now we've said, okay, here's every proposed law. Would that actually stop people from getting guns? No. So then we gave you what the actual solution is. I think it's a pretty straightforward solution. And now we're going to give you what could the, what could possibly, let's just say the government do about this. I don't think it has to be the government, but what could the government do about this? And I'm going to say too, our preference here is this not be done by the federal government. Yeah. I would like local and state to be involved here, but go ahead. What I'd like to see is on average of four standing metal detectors, two armed security guards at two different entrances in, in every single school in the country. Uh, there are 98,000 schools, public schools in this country. And uh, that's a lot of, it's actually down from the 70s and 80s, if you guys uh, can believe such a thing, but that's because they've been consolidating the smaller schools together and making, making bigger schools. And keep in mind that a portion of those 98,000 already have metal detector systems in them. So when I'm going through all this budgeting, it covers the entire 98,000. But some of your schools in Chicago and and, uh, you know, New York, different places like this, you do already walk through metal detectors My to school get to had, school. Which it was due to where I grew up, where, like I said, that was there where the Heath High School shooting happened. That was 20 minutes away. But we had, we had, you'd get wanded when you came yeah. in. Um, now, obviously, that didn't work a couple weeks ago, but mm-hmm. they, they only wanted bags that came in, and that wasn't what happened. So anyway. So I did some research here, and uh, your average standing metal detector, you can actually get one for $1,000, but they say that they're not um, 
they're not sufficient enough. Uh, so I put a price tag of $5,000 on the standing uh, metal detector, and we're going to put four of those in every single school. So that comes up to $20,000. And then we're going to put two armed security guards. And now this is, um, this isn't like, a, I don't know, this is not going to be Rambo or anything like that, but it can be your, your basic, you know, someone who works at the jewelry store, security, private security force kind, style kind of thing, an armed guard. Uh, two of those at roughly $35,000 a year, 32000 is actually the number I put on it because I actually think that's more than a lot of, a lot of those guys already make. Um, and then I think at each entrance, you need two to four volunteer teachers or parents every single morning. And this is something that teachers already do. They go and they help kids off the bus or they take kids out, you know, for recess and things like that. They kind of trade jobs like that. And then you would have parents who would who would also volunteer to come help with this. And I don't think that's a stretch at all. I mean, with schools, people want to be involved in their kids' lives and people, you know, you have band boosters and football boosters and you know, all sorts of different clubs that come in and this is already happening. We're not assuming people are going to do something that they, they aren't already doing. So all of that comes out to about $100,000 per school. And, uh, and to do the quick math on that, that's $9.8 billion to equip every school with four metal detectors and then two armed security guards. Now, the years following that, you would only have to pay for the armed security guards, which is a, a good portion of it, but you're basically going to be paying half of that every every single year. Um, so do you guys think we're like moving in a good direction here, probably? I think it's a better direction than where we've where we've been. Yeah. Um, now the obvious question here is how do you pay for it? What do you what do you want to do to pay for it? Is I, there I want to say I think it's something practical that people can visibly see and get your hands on and, and, and feel better about. I mean, I know every Predators game I go to, there's metal detectors I walk through, and I'm not saying whether that makes me feel more safe or not. I mean, I think if people want to get to you, they'll find a way, but I think it does add a, a layer of security that we're not currently doing that we do do for other things. And so, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's feasible – I, I obviously don't like the federal government spending money, right? I want to avoid that at all costs. But we already know that the discretionary spending for the Department of Education is $69.7 billion. Discretionary. So you, that's discretionary, that. yeah. And, and so I you're talking 10% of that discretionary budget would go to pay for that. And I yeah. would say this is like the first responsibility. It's kind of like, you know, if somebody's freezing to death, you don't, deal with other stuff you warm them up first it's like yeah we need to have safe schools before anything else matters like sports don't need to be funded we don't need gourmet lunches like first thing let's make sure nobody's getting killed yeah so we've got a few different ways to pay for this like charlie said the discretionary budget is 70 billion dollars for the department of education that's not their entire budget that's their discretionary budget and they could easily allocate some of that to pay for this didn't, didn't you have a number um, on the administrative costs for them that well, they just in well just in wasted administrative costs <laughs> is upwards of 50 billion for them 50 and 50 billion in bureaucracy so bucks. it's estimated that 7.8 million hours are spent per year just in um, paying people to request money from the Department of Education uh, for the state schools to do that. Now, that's uh, grants, grant writers, Title I grant writers. Um, I have some 
I also have some experience with that because guess what? My mom also worked for the Department of Education for, for a little while as a Title I grant writer. We need to so, get her on the show. Yeah. <laughs> I thought so, that was an interesting job. There's 7.8 million hours per year, which I went ahead and divided up my mom's time that she worked every single year. And just so you guys know, through the amount of employees it would take to do that, that's upwards of $300 million per year just asking for money from the federal government, $300 million a year to ask for it. So there's a big expense that we really just don't need anymore. And I'm going to throw out a couple other things. The Pentagon's estimated waste in their budget right now is $125 billion. They spend almost $200 billion on administrative costs. Nothing to do with planes, nothing to do with soldiers or anything like that. It's almost $200 billion on administrative costs. So I'm actually, you're not going to believe this, Nate, the alleged status John. I'm going to take us on a quick trip to Natopia, actually. And you know what my real big freedom solution would be? If we privatize schools, every school would compete to provide the best security for all of their students. Mm -hmm. And you would never see something like this happening. Oh, if we had private schools, I mean, honestly, our our schools would have been fully secured probably 30, 40 years ago. I, I guarantee because it. Because no school would want the liability for this. Yeah. After the, after the first real shooting, like you said, you know, Columbine, after it kind of exploded after that, I mean, after that, you probably, yeah, we wouldn't even be having this discussion, I don't That's think. That's the liability. The private <laughs> school, the corporation that is schooling your children is liable for a lawsuit if this ever happens at their school which the government is never really liable for a lawsuit unless you're a millionaire that can spend 15 years working the case. Um, a private person is going to be so scared of a lawsuit, the first time when Columbine happened or Heath High School happened, every single private school in the country is secured at that time. It's amazing how logic starts to take over in that circumstance. And once again, they look at what actual priorities are. It's like, okay, we want a roof over the student's head and they need to be safe. And we've got billions of dollars that the Department of Education just keeps in Washington. You see, what they do is they take tax money from everyone in the states, your property taxes, your local taxes, all these things are all funneled into the Department of Education. And then they keep a little bit for themselves so they can run their offices and they can take care of all the things that they do there in Washington. And then they send what's left over back out to the schools. Just off of the money that's paid to the, the administration of doing that could pay to secure every single school in America. So can I give you a little bit of homework, Nate? Mm -hmm. Can you look and see what's being done for security in existing private schools right now and come back with an update on that? I will look into that. Because we know there hasn't sure. been a, a school shooting at a private school yet, but I'd like to know if that's because they're doing something different or if it's just, you know, it's been chance so far. What we love to see is this happen privately where all the parents get together and chip in, chip in money and take care of this. Um, the math on that is $200 per family uh, would actually take care of funding this problem also. And you wouldn't even have to take tax money for it. Yeah. And you said that, I mean, that, that to me, $200, you, a lot of people spend that on cable every month, right? <laughs> so, you know, you cut your cable and you have, well, shoot, that's, that's for the year, right? 200 for the year. Yeah. So and let's be honest as a parent, I'd be willing to spend all the money I have or will ever make for the rest of my life to keep my child alive. $200 yeah, guys, is nothing. That's $15 a month. 
I mean, that's not, or maybe maybe it's 16 or 17, whatever the quick math on that is. That's $16 a month to have metal detectors and security guards at your kid's school. That's, that's nothing. So that's nothing. We've thrown a lot of stuff out. I think this has been a good conversation. Yeah. Um, we'd definitely be interested to hear what you guys think about this. If you guys have any good ideas, we will talk about them on the show. Um, I, I think it's been a fantastic discussion. And I want to say, I, I'm going to throw out a Thomas Jefferson quote for you because this is something Did I Did you get this in. ready or this just... No, yeah, this was ready. Fell and, upon you. <laughs> and I want to say that, again, this is a, this is a, a tragedy. There's no easy way uh, to discuss something like this. And I think that a lot of people are turned off by the, you know, making it political and things like that. And I hope, you know, you enjoyed this discussion that we talked about some different solutions, some different ideas, some different ways to do this. Um, but at the end of the day, we're a show about liberty. We're a show about freedom. And that's what we believe to our core. And uh, Thomas Jefferson said in a letter to James Madison, <clears throat> I prefer dangerous freedom over peaceful slavery. And he said this in regards to, to, uh, to guns, to arms, uh, in a letter to James Madison in 1787. And um, I'm not trying to take anything away. I'm not trying to degrade this situation. But at the end of the day, uh, I prefer dangerous freedom over peaceful slavery because with gun control if we if we go the way of banning all the guns or anything like that that's essentially peaceful slavery and i'd rather everyone have the right to protect themselves and, and what i want to add just real quick we're about to shut things down but yes it's dangerous freedom but if we let the private sector take care of this your children won't be in any danger no, there, I, I would not be concerned about that at all. I don't think we'd be having these conversations. Would you place another bet? <laughs> would you put a bet on that, John? <sighs> not 50 bucks. I'll, I'll bet you a dollar. <laughs> not worth it. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, guys, uh, hit us up on Twitter at the Big Freedom Show. Uh, maybe send us an email, info at thebigfreedomshow.com. Um I don't know. Send us a send us a tweet. Send us a Facebook message. I know you can look up the Big Freedom Show on there too, and share this with a friend. This yeah. Is- thanks for listening. We just appreciate you guys coming back each and every episode. We're going to do another one here in a couple days, and we'll see you next week.